Welcome to a new podcast series. On each Inside Track podcast, I will interview a leading business executive with significant experience in delivering transformation and talk about the real business transformation journeys, exploring approaches that have worked and discussing the reasons why others haven't with the aim of providing you with insights that you can deploy across your future transformation journeys. On this first edition, I'm delighted to be joined by Christoph Berscher, an individual who's been influential across multiple large-scale transformations in some of the UK's leading brands, including Co-op, Credit Suisse and Yodel. I'm delighted to be joined today by Christoph. Thank you very much, Christoph, for, for agreeing to take part. I'm, I'm always intrigued to talk to people who've been um, heavily involved in transformation uh, and, uh, and business improvement. I find it fascinating. Um, <clears throat> and it's always uh, good to hear how people have approached different challenges in different ways. I think we can all learn from others. Uh, and I suppose that was the premise for, for the podcast series. Yeah. So uh, it'd be great just to understand a little bit more about, about Christoph being involved in different functions, strategy product yeah. development, head of change, CIO roles in different sectors. So how would you describe yourself? That could be quite a long story. Uh, let's keep it short. <laughs> um, let's start with a little bit of history where I came from. Uh, as you can hear, I'm originally from Austria, not from UK. Uh, but I call now England my home. Uh, 16 years now, kind of here in the UK. Uh, which uh, which I would miss uh, if I would I would move somewhere else I would definitely miss it, and one of the elements that that really makes for me the difference is the culture and the behaviour within companies. In 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 Austria, kind of still very generically, not in all companies, but in many, very hierarchical, still uh, based on titles, and I like that in UK, uh, hierarchy or titles or education doesn't make a difference. It's all about what you do and, and what the outcome is that it can produce for an organization. And for me, that links it also quite nicely back to transformation because a transformation is always about the value that you generate for the business. It's not about the methodology you're using or anything else. It's all about the value that you generate. And when I say organization, another element, and, and we might cover that later on, that just doesn't mean only the shareholder. That means especially the people of the organization. Because at the end, without them, there is no organization. So, um, so I was always involved in, in all my kind of history in transformation and change. Um, even personally, I've just completed my 21st move uh, in the last 20 years. So uh, I seem to like change. Um, and professionally, I have done many different kind of uh, parts of change, big and small, and in different industries, as you said. I've also had very different roles. Uh, currently, I'm the um, Global Head of Planning and Performance, uh, a proper mouthful of title, at Stanhumbi, um, which is probably better described as the Chief Strategy, uh, Performance and Planning Director. So I am bringing together the elements of the corporate strategy and the strategic direction of the company, together with how we measure that we achieve that uh, implementation of that strategy, and equally, I'm also running the transformation team to make sure that we deliver this strategy. So if it really it's goes end to end, then absolutely, they have one person to point to, which is <laughs> me, um, which which I find really interesting, especially as a having having spanned transformation and strategy, because any strategy is only as good as its execution. Absolutely, if you can't execute it. Um, the transformation that you deliver is not adequate, um, and and therefore uh, I, I like kind of that combination of. The longer term thinking together with kind of delivering the here and now, which is, uh, which is a good challenge. 
And it's an iterative process, isn't it? Because like you say, you can, you can develop a strategy in isolation, but actually as you're going through the transformation and, and, and moving towards it, the world changes around you. You've got to be flexible and, and, and having that um, built, built into so the overall organisation is, is, is a good place to be. And, and also for me, that's kind of one element of a successful transformation. A successful transformation when it starts has a certain context and a certain outcome it wants to achieve. But the world moves on and very often transformation are even multi-year programs. So what you have kind of, uh, kind of experienced as an organization three years ago to now is very, very different. Sure. Especially now where we have a, a clearly kind of a, a book environment, it's very volatile, things are changing really quickly, customer behavior is changing quickly. And we as, um, as transformation and change professionals always need to scan our environment and understand what's happening because just because we have started a transformation in a certain scope or a certain kind of design that doesn't mean we implement it that way so being able to kind of reflect on it and step back and, um, and evaluating is the transformation that we execute still the right one is for me a key capability that many people do forget um, because you're getting so busy with delivering the transformation, but sometimes it's more important to take the step back and, and figure out, is it still the right thing to do? And I very often, when I run transformations, I'm using kind of my exec sponsor kind of to have that challenge. So I would, I would sometimes on a regular basis kind of sit down with my kind of board member or exec member that I delivered the transformation for and, and, and just step back and say, are we still doing the right thing? And also, are we doing it in the right way? Yes. Without talking about the project or a budget, but just looking at it, are we still doing the right thing? And, and, and how do you find the exec sponsor reacts to that question? Because sometimes I've found in the past that, especially in large organisations, politics come into play. Yeah. And you know, they're, they're sponsoring a way forward. And, and, and actually, they've got a very... There's a, there's a very much of sort of a personal driver to it, yeah. uh, and, yeah. and, and sometimes it can be quite difficult for them to step back and say, actually, yeah, probably the world has moved on. We need to we need yeah. to adapt. The thing is, what I have found is um, make sure that you define your transformation outcomes based on outcomes, not on deliverables or output. Yeah. Uh, seems only be a few letters difference, but it's a quite a big difference between output and outcome. So making sure I, I, just uh, just to be clear, then how do you differentiate between those two things? For me, kind of the output is as a physical deliverable I achieve. So, for example, uh, let me make it specific. Um, in uh, when I was at the co-op uh, as the head of the uh, transformation practice called group here in Manchester, we had the discussion about a mobile application that we wanted to develop for our membership base. Um, and if you would define an output of that, it would be a mobile application with the features of I can access my club card, I see my points, my rewards I can use, and I might be able to pay with it. If I look at it as an outcome, an outcome would say something like my customer engagement or my membership engagement is improving by 10 percentage point in the next 12 months, and it is a seamless shopping experience from start to finish. Yeah. If I have defined it as an outcome, it's a lot easier for the sponsor to let go of a certain function within a mobile app. But if I have to find my output such specific stage that I say I have following five features, it is really difficult to let go because you're kind of almost admitting I failed or I have changed my plans. Um, so I find, especially with kind of senior members, focusing on outcomes 
is, um, is easier to do because you will need to change as you go through the, the transformation journey. There is very often in my personal experience, one specific function and uh, role that struggles with that concept very heavily, which is normally the CFO. Um, I'm stereotyping now, but uh, I've, I've worked in finance myself and was finance director myself. It's quite difficult to ask for a multi-million pound budget, as many transformations do have, and not being able or not wanting to, maybe able, but not wanting to articulate the exact pieces of deliverables that you're getting for it. So convincing the CFO of, of, of that approach of outcome-based um, articulation and business cases is, is very important um, and, uh, and sometimes quite, quite difficult to do. And what I've also found, if you don't do that, very often transformation methodology, especially when you look at more agile or iterative delivery, is impossible to do. Because if you would talk to an agile delivery team and you would tell them, uh, in the next six months you're delivering following 25 features, they would turn around and say, guys, that is not agile, is it? Yeah. <laughs> um, so it, it is quite difficult to, to kind of align kind of what the organization requires and its governance to the right approach of delivery. And, um, and we might have a little bit of time later on, kind of, so I call that a problem-driven delivery methodology. Right. Um, for me, that is kind of one of the success factors of a good transformation, being able to adapt your method to the problem you're solving. So just coming back to your point about the CFR, presumably part of what you do then uh, to get them on board is to link the outcomes to specific financial uh, performance and almost say you're buying into the outcome rather yeah. than these individual outputs. Exactly, yeah. Because we and could get to those, you could theoretically get to those outcomes in multiple different ways. We're just saying that's what we're aiming for, that's what yeah. we're going to deliver. Leave, yeah. it, leave it to us almost that we, 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 would, we will get there in the end. Of. Can be quite challenging. And, and one way to address the challenge is the following. The, the concept of giving uh, or receiving a certain budget to achieve a certain outcome is based on trust. And trust is built by, by in many cases, by track record of delivering. Tell me something you deliver, deliver it. And the next time I might trust you kind of that you can do that. So what I have found and one mechanism to kind of help the organization along their journey is um, get the funding in, in, in chunks, basically. So say, we, yes, we, let's buy into the outcome that we want to achieve. It, it aligns our strategy and achieves our strategic objectives to make sure that kind of a CFO has enough perception of control. And sometimes it is really a pure perception of reality, but making sure that they understand, fine, we agree in an outcome of X, uh, you are uh, committing to a potential 10 million pound investment. What we do is kind of, we uh, draw down the first million, we do a checkpoint, and we kind of make sure that you're comfortable with the approach you're taking. The next kind of junk might be then 3 million. And then you say, and now the remaining 6 million is the last part. So you create your um, flexibility that you require to react to context and requirements in, in building that trust up yeah. especially with stakeholders that are probably initially kind of fairly um, kind of suspicious that you can deliver. Um, and I found that quite, that works quite well, even in really large transformation, like uh, when we did at the co-op, that was a five year kind of 1.3 billion pound transformation. Um, so when we decided about a million pound investment for uh, new kind of ERP systems and their implementation, that's quite a big commitment, an interesting, um, an interesting way of managing that. But 
making sure that the senior stakeholders uh, have to control on what it's being spent and the outcome it achieves is, is absolutely key. And that means clearly very strong stakeholder management uh, and also I think good transparent kind of governance of the program of delivery is, is absolutely key. Absolutely. And, 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 and I think, like you say, that sort of chunking that down into a drawdown capability gives, almost puts in place that structure to go back to your sponsor and your stakeholder to, to, to have that discussion, as you said earlier. Yeah. Yeah. Is this still the right thing to, to, to do? Absolutely. It, it's sort of formalising that, isn't it? And giving them yeah. the, give, giving them the uh, uh, um, a position that they can actually step back from to, yeah. to, 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 to make the, maybe the right decision as opposed to what they might have done in a different way. Absolutely, yeah. And ideally, kind of you align that also then to uh, very often organisations have, a, I don't know, a management for value or long-term planning or a strategic review process. Yeah. And if you then kind of, kind of, especially for long-term or long-term transformations, if you can align that to those and basically within those review cycles, make sure that you adapt your change to the programme, that uh, is, is quite often an easy and efficient way to do. And, and I've, done, uh, I've done that method uh, when I was uh, the Chief uh, Strategy and Transformation Officer at uh, Late Rooms, but I'm also doing it here at Dunhambe where we're trying to link kind of our standard processes together with con not continuously, but regularly reviewing, are we still doing the right kind of thing? And, uh, and as we know, kind of our customer requirements do change very often. Quite interesting is, um, and that sounds now very controversial. Um, I had organizations where I took agile out of delivery. Why was that the case? The biggest driver for that was that the requirements don't change that often that I need to deliver on a daily basis or on, on a real-time basis. I, mean, I have done implementations at Latrums, for example, complete DevOps, we released when ready. We did three and a half thousand releases a year. Right. Um, at that Humvee, complete B2B business. Um, I took kind of our DevOps or our kind of culture slightly back. We're still running agile and we do that efficiently, but we, we don't need kind of a full DevOps operation. Right. That doesn't mean kind of we have, we have not applied lots of the principles, uh, continuous integration, continuous delivery, test automation, all the good things that those concepts bring are still very valuable. But just doing DevOps for the sake of it is yeah. the right thing to do. Yeah, it's making it fit for purpose, isn't it? I think uh, you know, I've found many times that um, people get caught up, and, and you touched on it earlier, you get caught up on the methodology, and, and you've got to follow this methodology. And, yeah. and, and one methodology isn't right for every organization. No. You've got to make it fit for purpose and you've got to adapt it for the organization, the culture exactly. um, to, to, to get the right outcomes. Yeah. And I would, I would build on that. It's not only organization and culture, it's also the problem you solve. Yes. Yeah. L let me make an example. Um, when I was at uh, Co-op Group, I was brought in kind of to help the, uh, the capability of delivering change in general, but especially bring kind of more agile angle to, to uh, overall delivery. Um, when I was um, when I had a discussion then with the deputy CEO, kind of, and she was my sponsor of the overall kind of transformation, she then basically said, "Okay, so when kind of are we completely agile?" And I said, "Never." And then she looked at me, kind of really strange, and said, "Why?" Uh, I thought I brought you in for that. <laughs> and I said, "No. What you brought me in for is help the organisation to be more efficient, and that doesn't mean purely agile." I then made following example. 
Um, so for example, uh, co-op does about 100 store fit-outs every year. And the store fit-out um, is kind of the same thing every time. Yeah, yeah. Um, slightly bigger, slightly smaller, the old convenience stores. Um, and uh, when you look at the program plan to deliver a store fit-out, they spend between 1.2, 1.4 million pounds, um, and they have about, I don't know, 2,000 kind of line items in the plan. That plan is 95% set. Yeah. The problem is known. We have solved it before. The solution is very clear. The necessary adaptation of the solution is minute because that just would drive cost. Yeah. So if I then would, uh, would apply an agile delivery to a known problem yes. um, with a known solution that I have done before, I probably end up in a fairly inefficient state. So that one should always be maybe even a hybrid approach, but it's 99% kind of sequential. Um, but if we say it's the first mobile application we deliver for the organization, then probably um, a more agile approach does work. It's an unknown problem. We've never done it before. The solution is unclear and the requirements change very often. So, um, so it's making it adequate to the problem you're solving in the context you operate in is absolutely key. And, and therefore, just dogmatically following one approach doesn't, doesn't really work. And, and I call that a problem-driven delivery methodology, which really kind of combines a standard set of governance of you need to know what your business care to deliver, what's your overall roadmap, at least as a plan, who is kind of your kind of uh, stakeholders and you manage them, your risk and issues that you have to kind of address over time. And then it depends on the problem you solve. So you then have, I don't know, a maybe kind of a slightly more agile kind of a, a process underneath that for, um, for a DevOps or for a Scrum. You then might have, uh, if it's a process improvement, you might have a demaic cycle, um, or, or you have a new product development, you might use and system thinking. So there are different ways of solving the problems in an efficient way. And, and, and I, if I could give something to future or current transformation leaders, that would be always a recommendation. Step back and within a transformation program, I can almost guarantee you, you will find almost every methodology yes. that is the most efficient one. And that's not a bad thing. Um, it's, it's absolutely okay. The art of it is to make it really efficient. The art of it is based on common governance that applies to every methodology. Yes. And, and as I just mentioned before, kind of a business case is kind of is, applies for a demaic cycle as it does for agile as for waterfall, um, as an example. So there are definitely ways of, of bringing those pieces together into an efficient delivery framework. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and uh, looking, looking through your career, uh, you know, you, you've mentioned uh, you're working at Dunhomby now, co-op, um, um, uh, late rooms, and, and I know you did work in, in Yodel. Completely different sectors. So how, how easy have you found it to transition across, across yeah. those sectors? For me, it was quite, quite easy. I would say fairly easy. And, and that was based on, I had a tool set of delivering transformation in very different contexts. Yeah. And, uh, and that could be really, really agile to one extreme. It could be very, very traditional waterfall on the other side too. And bringing that together, the pragmatism to bring that together, that definitely helped me. Yeah. Um, but as you say, the industries are very different. They, they have very different contexts to operate in. And I also found um, it's not only the context you operate in, it's also some of the stakeholder setups. So for example, operating in a member-owned organization like Co-op yeah. is a very different approach to um, a very hierarchical, fairly old school at the time, 
delivery organization of Yodel. And, and why is that important? That's important because your decision-making and the decision-making process changes um, in each of those contexts. Um, for example, in a very collaborative environment, and Danhambi is, is a very similar example in that sense, especially our executive, very collaboration-driven, it, it takes time to make a decision. But when you have made the decision, it does stick. In other organizations like Yodel, decision-making is really simple. I basically make the case, go to the shareholders, they make a decision and I execute. It's, right. it's, it's kind of, it takes me a day to do. Yes. Um, in, uh, in, in Coobot and Humvee, to make a slightly bigger decision might take me three months, but I know it does stick for the next five years. Yeah, it's, it's understanding that landscape. Absolutely. And, yeah. and I have even, I've even run big transformation um, in, in, um, in co-leader roles, yeah, which means... We had, uh, for example, we did a big kind of uh, infrastructure transformation at Credit Suisse on a global scale. And we had two program directors. One was the program director that runs the program and one that runs the stakeholders. Right. Nothing else. Because yeah. we, had, we did it between two organizations, Winter Insurance and AXA Insurance at the time, and Credit Suisse. And we had to manage so many different stakeholders. We had, I was the person that did run the overall transformation. I made sure I deliver on time, budget, and scope. And then kind of my, uh, uh, my co, kind of she was focusing on managing the stakeholders. She yeah. did nothing else, 14 hours a day, seven days a week, managing the stakeholders of the transformation. And I could get on with delivering stuff. So never underestimate the stakeholder management. And when I say stakeholder, um, kind of closest to loop to kind of one of the beginning statements, it's not only your senior stakeholders, it's yeah. especially the, the people of the organization, and even more importantly, the people that you impact. And, uh, and, and again, that's one of the lessons learned for me. Build change management into your programs from the start. Um, yeah, and absolutely. I go even that far when I design delivery methodologies now. For me, there is no difference between project management and change management. It's the same thing. For me, project management doesn't come without change, and change doesn't come without project. Yeah, but and you need both. You need absolutely both. Sometimes, if you have the right scale, you might even have specialists in change management. And yeah. Again, for example, at the Humber, we have a change practice that does nothing else than change management that we deploy as part of projects and programs, especially in my transformation. But, um, but it's, it's very often forgotten and also very often kind of thought as a separate discipline. Yeah. And it's not. It's... You can't land a successful project, even if it's a small one, without considering the impact that it has and the impact that it has on people. Um, and especially when you do kind of more kind of difficult or controversial change like restructures or redundancies, that is kind of even more important uh, because it is, it is a difficult kind of situation the organization goes through and, and it needs help in doing so. Um, so it's quite important to do that. In my experience, that yeah, you can get the stakeholders, the senior stakeholders, on board with stuff, and they're aligned. And, and yes, you know, there will have challenges as you go around. It's it's that sort of third ground attraction with the rabbits, and you're knocking them back yeah. down type stuff. And a lot of the times, you can get the frontline staff bought into it, but the middle managers can be really, really challenging. Is that have you experienced that as well? Absolutely, fully agree. And and what I try to do normally is um, when as soon as I know what type of change we are kind of implementing, even if it's uh, at early stages of the program or project, do an impact assessment. 
you figure out who is impacted. And, and what I have often done is uh, those impact assessments I'm doing with people that are not related to the change right. because they will, they will kind of point you at impacted groups or people that you not even have considered in your thinking. Um, it's, it's quite challenging sometimes because you might end up doing more work, but I think it's more sustainable work and has to be a better impact. Um, and, and therefore, very often when I do change management, I'm using almost all layers of an organization yeah. from the frontline staff that is directly impacted, even to the layer of, um, for example, their managers or their manager's manager that need to in landing the change or communicating the change. It's that uncertainty, isn't it, at the, at the front end of that? You know, as soon as anyone starts talking about transformation, yeah. ev- no, not everybody, but a lot of people will start to, well, what does that mean to me? Yes, that's exactly. almost the first thought. And, and so, so what have you done? Uh, and what you know, what, what sort of things have you have you found successful in, in almost getting that communication right and that yeah. in, that initial engagement right? The what, what we have done is for one, I'm I'm a big believer in if you know something, talk about it. Um, be transparent and, and open. Um, and that's what I to do in transformation. If if you know kind of that is a, a commercial reality, talk about it and because people can deal with, with something bad or something good, they can't deal with uncertainty. That's really yeah. difficult because they don't know what they need to deal with. And then be kind of, and then execute quickly. Make sure that you then don't give them um, um, the opportunity kind of to, to have their own thoughts about what the solution looks like. Obviously that is sometimes difficult, especially in restructure programs because we have regulations and law about um, collective consultation or individual consultation that takes a certain time, uh, which is absolutely right to do so. But, uh, but making sure that you execute really quickly is important. The other one is make sure people understand or at least know, they might not always understand, um, the reason why. Why is it being done? Yeah. And, and we have found that that sometimes helps to um, to accept the consequence slightly easier. So reason why is absolutely key. And again, you, you will see kind of, if you would listen to the podcast in one go, um, that people aspect and change management is absolutely key because technically deliver a transformation on time, budget and scope is fairly simple. Um, but making sure that the change lands well and is sustained and the people are taken care of in that process is a way more difficult kind of challenge for the transformation leader. Yeah, I, I agree. And it takes me back to a program I got involved in years and years and years ago, where, uh, so this was 15 years ago, uh, in uh, an infrastructure business. Then oh, we were putting in um, a new work management system, asset management and work management system. Yeah. Uh, but it was going to have significant impacts upon the day-to-day operations of, of, of every member of staff. Yeah. Um, and uh, I coined a phrase, and, and I use it often actually, but uh, you know, I was saying in that program, the easiest thing in the world was to get the icon on the screen, the new system. The hardest yeah. thing was to get someone clicking on it. But yeah. coming back to your point, until they click on it and start to change the way that they operate, those outcomes that we were looking to, that were built into the business case, were never going to come. Absolutely. But the project of getting that technology embedded, done. Yeah, the change to get people doing and utilizing and 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 operating in the most efficient way. Yes, delivering the out the outcomes that we're looking for. That was the critical part of that overall transformation. Absolutely, and and 
interesting enough, I'm, I'm using a concept uh, called capability to describe lots of that. Because, and I'm also not a big fan of distinguishing between business and IT, for example. Because at the end, there is no business without IT, and there's no IT without business. So yeah, exactly. the capability that I'm using is, is, is based on the definition of a capability, something where you bring people, process, technology, and the information or data together. And if you look at a problem in that way, I think transformations become way more successful. <clears throat> and because in your example, kind of, of a workforce management system, and, and that has lots of aspects of cultural changes, as you mentioned, it has also aspects of process changes because the operating model has to change, but also an element of data and KPIs. So I can measure our utilization. As an, if you use kind of that lens of a capability, I found that a really useful mechanism, uh, especially in big transformation. Um, and I could give you countless examples while I'm using those, but uh, it is, I think, if you look at it end to end, what you're trying to change from what to what, and what part needs to change of a capability, I think is useful to scope your transformation. Christoph, before asking one final question, delivering major change initiatives as you have is a stressful profession. How do you relax and get away from it all? I'm, I'm three days a week currently in London, and, uh, um, and, and that's okay, that's great. But, uh, but on the weekend, I do, I do a fell running. For me, it's my meditation time. Yeah, because I have a fairly busy job kind of during the week and, and, uh, and it's long days. Um, but I therefore need then the time to switch off. And for me, the switch off is to running. And also, um, I'm kind of writing a book about business design and transformation. Um, it, is, it's, it will come out end of 2020, hopefully. Um, and it's quite interesting because it's my time of, of completely switching the context. Right. It's something I don't need to deliver anything. I am more, it's all about kind of sharing some of my knowledge and uh, or our knowledge because I write it with two professors at uh, Henley Business School. So one final question. If you can boil down all of your experience into one core belief, what would that be? It would be make sure that your transformation is reviewing itself. Is it doing the right thing? That's an in scope. Yeah. But also, is it doing it right, which is more about the efficiency and the methodology aspects. Um, and always kind of uh, consider the people that you're impacting. If you don't do that, uh, you can have the best transformation in the right scope, uh, i.e. delivering the right results, which is effective. It can be very efficient in delivering it, but it still won't be successful at the end because it won't be sustained. It's still a waste of money at the end. Uh, and even worse, uh, it's not only a waste of money, you will also probably lose quite a lot of really good people of your organization. Absolutely. Uh, and that is really, in nowadays market, quite difficult to, to, uh, to fix again. Absolutely. Thank you, Christoph, for your time and sharing your experience with us today. It's been a fascinating 25 minutes or so. It's likely that the listeners will have lots of questions. If I collate these, are you happy to provide further insights on any questions raised? Absolutely, yeah. No problem, of course. Yeah. Great. Well, thank you very much and, um, and look forward to uh, speaking to you soon. Will do. Thanks very much. Thanks, Tony. All right. I hope that you've found this episode interesting and that you have at least a couple of takeaways that you can start to apply to your transformation programs in the future. If you do have any questions or indeed comments, please do share. We will respond to each and every one. Once again, many thanks to Christoph, and I'm really grateful to be able to share this edition with you. 
Subscribe to the podcast and we'll notify you when the next edition is published, which should be 10 to 14 days away, so not long to wait.